Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is Wobblers Live, where we're talking about today's hottest topics on policy, faith, and the culture. We always do that from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Today happens to be Foundations of Freedom Thursday, so we're actually doing that specifically with diving into founding principles that you're curious about. So you can send in your questions to drive the conversation today. Send them to radio at wallbuilders.com. That's radio at wallbuilders.com. And to answer those questions today, we are with David Barton, America's premier historian and our founder here at Wallbuilders. Tim Barton is with us, national speaker and pastor and president of Wallbuilders. And my name is Rick Green. I'm a former Texas legislator. Check us out at wallbuilderslive.com if you'd like to know more. And if you'd like to get into the archives and listen to programs over the last few weeks, it's all available on our website right there at wallbuilderslive.com. Also on that website, highly recommend that you check out at the top of the page there, that blue button. It says contribute, and that's your chance to become a partner of us here at Wall Builders Live and become a part of the solution. When you contribute to Wall Builders Live, it allows us to grow the program, get it in more hands, get more people listening to it so that they are becoming equipped, they're becoming inspired to be a part of the solution. They're learning that biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective and then implementing it in their communities. That all begins with you contributing right there at wallbuilderslive.com. Very easy to do. Click on that Contribute button. You can make a one-time or a monthly donation, and it helps us not only to do the radio program, but to take pastors to Washington, D.C. for our pastors' briefings, to train legislators, to train young people on all of these principles, and you become a part of that solution. Foundations of Freedom Thursday, so we're going to dive into those questions from the audience. And for others that want to send them in, radio at wallbuilders.com is the place to send your questions. This first one is from Jason. He said, my question is, with this classified information fiasco under Biden's VP watch coming out now, is the timing of this just ironic or potentially planned? The reason I ask is now that the midterms have been decided and the senator's reps are now in place, then all of a sudden this is brought to light. If this was exposed back in October, it's likely that it would have helped Republicans win more seats. I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Is it irony or politically motivated? I venture to say not many Democrats want to see Biden run again. So they might be waiting for the best moment to get rid of him. All right, Jason, good question. And you're not the only one thinking this. Believe me, I've had a lot of people bring this up and say, wow, interesting timing that now all of a sudden all these folks are willing to question Biden on the very thing they said that Donald Trump should basically be run out of the country for. Okay, maybe not quite that bad, but it was pretty close. What do you guys think? Well, what's interesting is they found this stuff long before the election and they only announced it after the election. So that pretty much indicates that there is a political motivation to it. Now, past that, how much does that mean? I'm not sure that it would have made any difference in the election at all because of what we saw in exit polling. The thing that motivated people in the election were things like pro-abortion and and saving democracy. And, you know, what we saw in the exit polls did not indicate that this kind of corruption was any kind of an issue. Uh, It certainly would have been something Republicans would have pounced on. They would have done media but they got outspent like five to one anyway in media. So it, it might not have made a difference. But there's no indication to me from what I saw that this would have changed anyone's vote in the election. But I think it clearly is political. They didn't want this out there before the election because they thought it could have an impact. And, of course, now we've seen the, the, the second thing that they've discovered more of those documents. And now the FBI has announced that it's going to look at it. And, and you've had uh, Senator Stabenow, who Democrat from, from Michigan, who said, hey, this is a bad deal. This doesn't look right. And, and so Democrats are on board saying this is bad stuff, too. And, and they're asking for the logs to, to see who had access to that classified information. And, 
White House just reported, well, we didn't keep any logs on that, so we don't know who went in, who went out. Vice President didn't do that, so we don't know. So there's a lot of questions out there. It is, you know, it's a scandal of sorts, but it's not widely reported on the other side. And so with it not being widely reported on the other side, it's unlikely it would have had an impact on the election. It would have had to be paid, earned media. And the fact that they held it off till after the election to, to admit it, I mean, there's a lot of political stuff here, but I'm not sure it would have had any impact on the election. Well, but I, I think the very fact that they kept it hidden until after the election and, and Republicans got in charge, it does indicate that you know if you go back to the 2020 election where right so many Democrats acknowledged, had they known about the Hunter Biden laptop story, it, right. it could have altered their vote. Right. I, I think Democrats recognize that the potential danger of what this is and the fact there's a lot being leaked at the same time. There, there's some conservative pundits who are speculating that this could be a strategic move for some in the Democrat camp, that they're trying uh, to diminish Biden's uh, viability for reelection, which also could tarnish Trump at the same time. Um, because if they're able to keep Biden from running for reelection in 2024, which I think many of them want because they recognize he's he's barely cognizant now. He's not super likable for a lot of reasons. Uh, they would like maybe somebody else, maybe a governor of California kind of person, Gavin Newsom, to come and, and be that person to take Can I over. contribute to his campaign? Well... You know, but but the problem because I think he would be a really easy guy to beat. Well, depending on who he goes up against, right? But because this this is part of what Let, let's of the, take Governor of California versus DeSantis, right? But that's where it depends on who he goes yeah, up against. Right. Because if if they're able to remove Biden and they're able to say, look, you know, when somebody has these kind of records, they should never be able to run for office again. Well, if they remove Biden in, in that sense of we're not going to let him or we're not going to vote for him running again, and they can say, well, we didn't choose a, a guy who did it on our side, and then Trump ends up getting the nominee. They can use that to try to tarnish Trump. So it does depend on who it is. Nonetheless, I do think there's reason to think that they were intentionally trying to keep it under wraps because Agreed. certainly, certainly there were people in Congress Agreed. who were very aware and very familiar of this. And if you're trying to keep it under wraps, you're trying to keep it under wraps for a reason. And certainly they thought, I, I believe it would have made a difference in the election where, you know, initially we thought there was going to be a red wave and it was barely a red trickle. I think had some of the things that was speculated, some of the things that that some of us on the further right side of the aisle had strong inclinations of, had we seen some of those things that now we are discovering to be true, then it could have made a bigger difference with the American people. And I think Democrats intuitively knew that. And that's part of why they kept it hidden to the extent of the difference it would have made. That's where it's undetermined. I, I do think it's very feasible that the Senate might have not gone Democrat, that it could have been at least 50-50, or maybe Republicans have one or two seats. So I, I do think there could have been a difference in the outcome we've seen. How much of a difference? Now it's all speculation because yeah. nobody really knows for yeah, sure. that's right. All right, guys. Well, this next question is specifically on a case that uh, we, we've mentioned over the, the last few months a couple times. I know I've talked about it on on the AFA show as well, and and uh, but a lot of people have been talking about it, and it finally uh, came to a head, uh, I guess, a week or so ago, and it's a case that uh, uh, was appealed up to the Supreme Court. A lot of people thought the Supreme Court, quote-unquote, heard this case or that there were hearings on uh, on the case, and that was definitely an exaggerated, or uh, um, those words mean things in terms of how much the Supreme Court actually looked at it. But anyway, here's the question from Stephen. Uh, Supreme Court's take on the Brunson v. Adams. I heard that the Supreme Court might be taking on Brunson v. Adams, which I heard would challenge the Biden administration on the 2020 election. I'd love Wildbuilder's input on this topic, especially David's opinion. And in parentheses, no offense, Rick, laugh out loud. I wonder <laughs> if Stephen is a listener to my other program, which is on American Family Association, where I kind of said some not so nice things about this case. So he wants me to be quiet. So I'm going to be quiet. David, 
What do you think about Brunson v. Adams? Well, for those who don't know, let, let's set the case, Rick. What was Brunson all about? What were they trying to do? What was alleged to be the, the purpose for Brunson? Yeah, I, and, and I think the facts that they state in the case, I would agree with. It was the remedy that I thought was outrageous and, and never going to have a chance of happening. But, but, but the case was based on the idea that, okay, look, 2020 election, there's, there's, there's uh, you know, challenges to the electors. And uh, once it gets to Congress on January 6th, which, of course, is what January 6th was all about, um, that Congress has a duty under the 12th Amendment to, you know, decide which electors to count or not count. And and that because they didn't do what Ted Cruz was trying to get them to do, which was investigate, actually look into the claims that those six states had, you know, faulty electors because they modified election law at the last minute without the legislature's approval, um, that that should be looked into by Congress. So, so the Brunson brothers out of Utah said, we think that they didn't do their job. Congress should have looked at the electors. And then they wanted the court to fire all of those congressmen that were unwilling to look at the electors, which so it's like three fourths of Congress and fire 100 percent of the executive branch, the president and the vice president. So kind of a separation of powers issue here, as well as just the the legal you know process itself. But anyway, that's kind of a summary of what they were asking for. So my look at that and I, I talked to some people said, man, this the court's going to take it up because they've called back and they said, hey, we need this additional evidence and we need this additional fact and we need these details and. You know, like I pointed out to them, said, "Wait a minute, guys. That's the staff that does that, and they do that on every single case because they don't know which one the justices are going to take. So every week when the justices meet in conference, there's going to be two to four hundred cases in front of them, and they're going to take from zero to four out of those two to four hundred cases. So number one, the odds are super high they're not going to take it, and the fact that they called and said, "Hey, we need this additional information," doesn't mean they're interested in it." It means the staff is making sure that everything is there for the justices to look at if they choose to look at it. So it, it went to conference here a couple of weeks ago, and the, the court did not pick it up You know, as one of those two to 400 cases a week that they get. They only choose a couple. And, and I, Rick, you've mentioned separation powers. There is no way the Supreme Court is going to say, all of you guys elected to Congress, you're out, three-fourths of you. And the administration is out. That puts the Supreme Court in charge of the entire federal government. They're running all three branches at that point. Elections mean nothing. Now, the counter argument is, wait a minute, you didn't follow the law. Well, the remedy to following the law is in the states because Article 2 gives all the right on elections to the states. And Congress didn't do their stuff. Well, it should have been solved at the state level before it got to Congress. Yeah. And so the state should have done that. And, and, and if the state wanted to send alternate electoral list, that's up to the state. The state could have said, you know, we haven't figured out who won the election. So here's the Republican. Uh, uh, here's the, the Republican list of electors. And here's the Democrat list. And who's here's the voted for. We just haven't been able to figure out who won the election. That's the state responsibility. And so with a court that we have been praising over the last three years for becoming more and more constitutionally cognizant, a court that is following the Constitution more than we've seen really in my lifetime, uh, a, a court that has quoted the Constitution, they're going back to the Tenth Amendment, they're giving more power back to the states, this is a state issue. And so I think that's where they had it. They weren't going to pick that up. And, and by the way, the precedent is really bad. If Republicans can do this to get rid of a Democrat administration, you think there's not going to be lawsuits coming to get rid of the next Republican administration? And the court will say, well, we had to do it for these guys. We'll do it for you, too. And then we do have an oligarchy of nine people running the nation. Elections mean nothing to that point. And so even in federal elections with, with the federal Congress that, that didn't follow, 
hey, that goes back to our public schools. Nobody taught civics and nobody taught government. And those guys in Congress didn't even know what their options were. Now, remember, congressmen are not smarter than citizens. They are citizens who got elected. And so the average citizen, I mean, we're looking at 48 percent of elected officials can't even name the three branches of government. So how are you going to know what your responsibilities are constitutionally in a, in a case that's only arisen once a century? You know, this is this is not something they deal with commonly, and it's certainly not anything that's covered in civics and government if you still had civics and government courses. So my feel on this from the very start was this has zero chance. Uh, there's a better chance that we're going to have a blizzard in Dallas on the 4th of July than the court's going to pick up this case because there's just too many consequences, too many downstream effects. We would love it for the sake of justice to, to get the, the election right, but that's not the way the court looks at it. That should have been the states getting the election right. They're looking at it for future precedent, and do they have the constitutional authority to throw out Congress and throw out the president and order a new election? The answer is no, they do not. Yeah, and, and just to clear up confusion for people out there that, that heard the court took up the case or the court had a hearing on the case or the court did consider the case, all that happened was it was, quote, distributed for conference. And and just to clarify on what that means, that basically means that a clerk hit email, you know, hit the send button on an email to all nine offices. There were 413 cases that day when it was distributed for conference on January 6th. I think the date is ironic. I think somebody was actually playing a joke. Honestly, if I give if I can give my opinion, uh, Stephen, uh, but 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 uh, anyway, so, yeah, it was uh, it was never I don't think ever seriously considered. Uh, I don't think that day on that Friday it even came up. I think it was dismissed, cert denied, along with 400 other cases. I can't remember. I think they said yes to uh, cert was granted to maybe five or six cases that day. But anyway, so uh, and, it, and and David, honestly, the reason that I've been kind of sarcastic about this thing is because I, I, I don't like false hope. I don't like it when yeah. these things come up and, yeah. and, and people try to get our people excited about it. And then they get this huge disappointment and they become more bitter or they become more um, you know, they, they, they believe less and less in, in the constitutional Republic. And so part of it's our own fault for ginning up hope. I say our, you know, sometimes our side, our movement, um, for ginning up hope in something that, like you said, never, never had a chance in the first place. Well, and see, I think that goes back to our lack of knowledge of the constitution. We get hope that we want a different election. Please show me in the constitution, any clause that gives the Supreme court justices the right to overturn any election at any point in time. Uh, the, the the appeals go to the elected officials. They don't go to the unelected officials. So Congress can hear the stuff, but the courts can't hear the stuff. And as much as I might like to have different results and as much as I might think that cheating went on in, you know, four, five, six major states that would have flipped the election, as much as I might think that, that's not the remedy at the Supreme Court. The remedy is first with the people and the states. And then past that, it's it's with the, the Congress. And if the Congress doesn't do it and the states didn't do it, then the courts sure shouldn't do it. And that's not their role. We don't want judicially active judges. And there is such a narrow role for what the, the courts can do. And right. our people need to read that and understand it. I mean, there's original jurisdiction. There's there's appellate jurisdiction. That's right. Uh, and, and there's the, the shortest section of the Constitution on the branches is the judiciary. They've got the less power than anybody and we want them to overturn the elections and decide who the winners are? No, 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 no. That's that's a really bad precedent for the future from a constitutional standpoint. And so as, as much as our people may not have liked the outcome of the election, this is not the way to fix it. And, and so I, I think you're right, Rick. But I think it goes back to the fact that all of us are lacking in civics and government training and knowledge. This is what used to be basic. And by the way, I'll just do a commercial right now. 
we came out just a few months ago with a reprint of the 1828 Stansbury Catechism on the Constitution. Yeah. This is what all the elementary kids took in school going back through the day. This is how you study the Constitution. You knew what the limitations were. Every one of our people ought to go through that 1828 book. It's at wallbuilders.com. Go back and look and get a basic civics and government course that you didn't get in school. And and, and then this stuff becomes much clearer. It's much easier to decide. And, and for us, it's not after the outcome. It's after the process. The process is what's really, really important here. The outcome's yeah. important, but not if you use the wrong process to get the outcome. You, you can't do that. And, and David, one more, just one more clarification. I know we need to go to break, but one more clarification. There is a role for the court in, like you said, that very rare circumstance. And the, yeah. and the one place that, that I was asking for the court to take action was in places like Pennsylvania where they violated the Constitution by having the Secretary of State or the governor change election yeah. law without the yeah. leg- legislature in place. That it, that's a constitutional decision. You know, they, they could have said the court could have taken that and said, yeah, that's the wrong people created election law and we do rule on the constitutionally yep. uh, constitutionality of that particular clause in the constitution that's very different from saying hey congress you didn't do your job and we're deciding whether or not you did your job i mean my goodness we could all say congress didn't do their job on a million different issues and that's essentially what this case was trying to say is that they could be fired for not doing their job well my goodness there's a lot of things they're not doing that they should be doing and a lot of things they're doing that they shouldn't be doing and if you give the courts the power to decide that, wow, you've got a you've got a real issue. I hope folks can see the nuance there and the difference in those situations. And like you said, very, very, very rare that the court should step in. We saw a case in North Carolina where they had to redo the election because of fraud and all kinds of problems. I mean, that's a that's a legitimate uh, place for the court to say, yeah, this whole thing had to be thrown out. This case, the the the, the claims that were made in the in the case and the remedy they were seeking. Totally not plausible, not possible, and way too late. It was tw- it was November and December of 2020 when the court ha- should have done what it should have done, and it's way too late now. And, and and Rick, let me point out too, the court had several opportunities in that period of time and right. did not pick them up. That's and, right. And so to pick them up a year or two later is unlikely because they wouldn't touch it at the time. Yeah. That's and right. To the to their credit, they didn't want to be the ones who decided the election, and, and good for them. I wish they would have gotten into Pennsylvania and some other specific issues. Yeah. Uh, but they were not wanting to pick winners and losers. And I, right. I, I appreciate yeah, to, to, that. To decide the election is one thing. It's another thing to say, hey, this state on this particular That's right. election change was unconstitutional in what they did. And then it would be Congress that would have to say, hey, the court said what they did was unconstitutional. Therefore, that election is tainted. But for the court to completely take over the whole thing, man, that's third world country stuff right there. That uh, That's the only time that kind of stuff happens. Okay, man, this is uh, interesting stuff, but we've got one more question to get to, so we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Ken Osborne's question from Washington State. Stay with us. You're listening to Wobble. Have you noticed the vacuum of leadership in America? We're looking around for leaders of principle to step up, and too often, no one is there. God is raising up a generation of young leaders with a passion for impacting the world around them. They're crying out for the mentorship and leadership training they need. Patriot Academy was created to meet that need. Patriot Academy graduates now serve in state capitals around America, in the halls of Congress, in business, in the film industry, in the pulpit, in every area of the culture. They're leading effectively and impacting the world around them. 
Patriot Academy is now expanding across the nation, and now's your chance to experience this life-changing week that trains champions to change the world. Visit PatriotAcademy.com for dates and locations. Our core program is still for young leaders 16 to 25 years old, but we also now have a citizen track for adults. So visit the website today to learn more. Help us fill the void of leadership in America. Join us in training champions to change the world at PatriotAcademy.com. We're back here on Wobblers. Thanks for staying with us on this Foundations of Freedom Thursday. Final question of the day. Uh, let's see. Not signed. So this comes from um, Anonymous. All right, here we go. It says, I was watching a video on YouTube with Dan Smoot from 1963 where he lays out the case that the 14th Amendment was never legally ratified and therefore illegal. He then goes on to give examples of how this amendment has been used by the courts to circumvent the Constitution. What are your thoughts on this? Do you agree or disagree um, of course, guys, we've, we've heard the, um, you know, not ratified properly on the 16th Amendment, the income tax, and that was all over like a comma and a word here or there. You know, I think uh, definitely a red herring at, the, at this point after all these years of, uh, of uh, following the 16th Amendment. I would argue the same for the 14th Amendment. I've actually never heard the case that it was not legally ratified. Uh, the 14th, I thought, you know, uh, definitely was. So I, I'm not even sure what their claim is there. But even if they were claiming it wasn't ratified, Little bit late now, 150 years later, right? But but what do you guys think? Well, what you got with the Fourteenth Amendment, that has been the, the the amendment of the Constitution that's been used to destroy more culture than any other amendment of the Constitution. In the years of judicial activism, the court came up with what it called the doctrine of selective incorporation. And the doctrine of selective incorporation says, you know, we know that the Bill of Rights only limits the federal government, but that's really not fair. It ought to limit all governments. So the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, all the Bill of Rights, was only to limit the federal government. It was not to limit the states. The states had their own Bills of Rights. They had that in their own Constitution. But what happens is the Supreme Court started stepping in and said, you know, we think if we just kind of twist our mouth the right way and hold our head crooked, we can apply the Second Amendment to the states. And, and, and on it went. And so instead of upholding rights, they started particularly on the First Amendment saying, you know, uh, it says Congress can't make any law respecting the status of religion, but we think that means city council, too. And so city councils, you can't open with prayer anymore. And by the way, you can't have a nativity scene. And, and, and so selective incorporation, they just literally started destroying the, the essence of, of the morals and the culture. And that's where a lot of people got upset. And so you look back and you say, well, that has to be an illegitimate amendment because that's sure not what the founders wanted with that amendment. So it wasn't ratified. Yes, it was ratified. It went through all the states. Now, if you want to say, if you're a hardcore uh, Southern apologist that says that everybody in the South should have been able to vote, then, yeah, it wasn't ratified. But the law at that time says, hey, if you were in the Confederacy and if you were part of trying to overthrow the United States, you can't vote until you take an oath of loyalty to uphold the United States. And so most people came back into the South after they signed an oath of loyalty. That was just part of it because the South didn't want to be part of the United States. They wanted to be their own separate nation. That's why they seceded and left. And so if you want to be in the United States, you have to take an oath to be loyal to the laws of the United States. And so at the time the 14th Amendment was ratified, there's still a lot of Southern people who hadn't decided they wanted back in the United States yet. They were still on the outside. So if you want to make the argument it wasn't ratified, but it was ratified by all the legal voters at that time. And it was overwhelmingly ratified in the states. It was really a, a pure partisan vote. The Republicans were for it. The Democrats were against it. I think in Congress, as I recall, I don't think there was a single Democrat in Congress that voted for the 14th Amendment in Congress. It was all a it was all a, a, a really a measure 
uh, of the Republicans. And if it was re- some Democrats who voted, it's very few. So what happens is the 14th Amendment, the selective incorporation uh, of the 14th Amendment by the court is the judicial activism that came about in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Starting back in 47 with a case called Everson versus Board of Education, the court started saying, hey, we're going to take over the responsibilities of local governments, of state governments, of everything. We're the Supreme Court, and we'll tell you how to live your life. So I think that's what this is pointed toward. People didn't like the outcome, and I didn't like it either. But I will point out that the court has started moving back the other direction. Uh, as we pointed out in previous programs, Americans now have more religious liberty than they've had in 60 years because the court is rolling back this kind of stuff. So the court is getting back to the original intent of the Constitution. And as they do that, uh, the 14th Amendment is of less effect. But just to put in context, what happened to the 14th Amendment, the southern states started saying, well, blacks may be free now with the 13th Amendment, but we're not going to let them vote. And we're not going to let them have the right to keep and bear arms. And we're not going to let them. And, and so that's why Congress passed the 14th Amendment says, hey, any right that belongs to a citizen of the state belongs to all in that state. So you can't just say only white citizens get the benefit of, of the Bill of Rights of, of our state. It's for all citizens. And so that's what the 14th Amendment was about was because you had the 11 states of Confederacy were denying rights to blacks. They said, well, blacks might be free, but they can't get married and, and they can't have an education. They can't have whatever. And that's what the 14th Amendment was all about, saying, hey, if it's a right for a citizen in your state, it's a right for citizens in all states. But that's where the federal courts got involved and said, no, it's a right for us to decide what the rights are for people in every state, not just the Confederate states and, and so, or the former Confederate states. So that's the background of that. Uh, I would say that video is not accurate because we do know the 14th Amendment was ratified, ratified properly. Uh, it was ratified legally. Uh, there, there was no hanky-panky on it. Now, you know, Southern apologists may say, well, we should have never been kicked out. No, you didn't get kicked out. The South decided to secede. The South voluntarily chose to leave the Union. That was not allowed. Uh, We've talked about it before. The Founding Fathers saw the Union as a no-fault divorce. You don't just pick up your bags and leave when you're tired of the marriage. Uh, You have to work through it and work it out, and that's what the process is for. And so they were not for no-fault divorce. And at the time, the first secessions were tried in 1810, 1812, 1815, 1832. Um, The Founding Fathers' quotes were very prolific on that, that no, secession is not an option. When you came into this union, you came in in a a permanent state. This was a lifetime marriage. So those who hold a different opinion, that's just not original intent. That's more more what's happened since the, the reinterpretation of the 14th Amendment. All right, guys, we are out of time for today. Folks at home that enjoyed this Foundations of Freedom Thursday, you can get more of those great questions and answers on our website at wallbuilderslive.com. And we sure appreciate you listening today. You've been listening to Wall Builders Live. We stand undivided.